The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Bonjour. I'm still in Paris. This time we're starting on time. Last week, if anybody was trying to listen live and wondered where we were for the first seven minutes, it was because the U.S. got daylight savings time. France didn't. And I didn't know that. So I was across the street eating Thai food. So sorry for that little snafu last week. I do believe that our brilliant and Fabulous engineer Jeff fixed everything so that if you listen to the podcast, you'll never know unless you're listening now. And I just told you. So France is pretty good. France is tough. I've got to say France, Paris has been difficult. My French that I thought was kind of semi-intermediate is not. (laughs) And that's been really difficult. And I get lost every single day. But every day I go out uh, looking for vegan food and finding some really, really interesting spots. I've met with some lovely, lovely people over here. Today I had lunch with Elizabeth Lyman, who is a friend of pastry chef Fran Costigan. That's how I met Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an American living here, and she's actually a translator, and she recently translated a book from French into English uh, called... um, Red and Green, which is about a a vegetarian and a non-vegetarian love affair. So I have a copy of that now, and I'm going to read it on my plane trip back. It's just so cool, the things that we do. And we are also here on the humanity and vegetarianism. Oh, my goodness. Reverend Frank Hoffman was brilliant. I could listen to him for hours at least, and and maybe you could too. So do uh, listen to that if you haven't yet had a chance. And we are going to be continuing this evening uh, with a rabbi and with a representative of Jewish vegetarians of North America. But you know what? There is a secular holiday that happens in the springtime that vegetarians and vegans have become as used to expecting as flowers in spring, and that is the meat out. It happens on the first day of spring, March 20th. It started in Washington, D.C., and now it's everywhere. Here in Paris, they're doing a great big old shebang for the meat out this weekend. And I am so happy to be talking with the person who is spokesperson for the annual meat out campaign, and that is Michael Weberman. 
Michael A. Weberman is Executive Director of Farm Animal Rights Movement, or FARM, where he implements their sustained vegan advocacy approach to reducing and eventually eliminating the number of animals raised and killed for food. He oversees the production of farms literature and videos to expose the truth behind animal farming. And as I said, he is the spokesperson for March 20th. Woohoo! Meet out. Hey, Michael. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's absolutely wonderful to be hearing you from over there in Baltimore. So tell us what the meet out is and how long it's been around. Oh, my God. So this is the 30th anniversary, actually, of Meet Out. It's been running since 1985. And uh, so, yeah, it's been going on for a long, long time. And it's just a simple ask, basically. We're asking everyone to to eat vegan for at least one day, basically. I, and starting on on March twentieth, the first day of spring, seems like it's a you know a good time for a fresh start every year. And uh, and so yeah, we've been we've been doing this for a really long time, you know. And we have a lot of uh, vegan activists, of course, who put on educational events and food sampling events. And then we also try to engage all of the non-vegan public with that you know that simple pledge ask that they just give it a try for. At least a day. And they do this on your website? Yeah, yeah. The website is meetout.org, and we've got a pledge form. Actually, it's pretty slick this year. What we do is if you if someone goes there, they can see um, how many animals they save, how many acres of rainforest they save, and how many gallons of water they save by pledging to eat vegan for one day, by pledging to eat vegan every Monday from now on, and by pledging to eat vegan uh, for, for you know every day, basically. So you've got kind of three levels, and you can slide and see uh, how much impact you'll make by taking your pledge up a notch. Oh, that's exciting. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love the meet out, and I was around for the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before we had an internet. Oh, my God. I never thought I'd be so old that I would say, well, back before we had, oh, you know, God. electricity. But anyway, that it's so cool that it's grown so much and that it's thriving and that it's all over the world. So given that eat vegan for a day is not a hard thing to ask. I mean, it's not even that hard when you're in some country where you don't speak the language. How does the campaign remain relevant after all these years? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because on one hand, I, I want to agree with that idea. I want to say, yeah, eating vegan for a day is so easy now. There's so much great vegan food out there. Uh, the reasons for being vegan are so much more understood than they ever have been before. There's the awareness. There's the tools. I mean, at this point, it seems like eating vegan for a day wouldn't be much of an ask and and yet it still is. It's really funny that way. It's it's shocking how many people think that even going a single day without cow's milk in their cereal or without eggs for breakfast or without chicken in their sandwich, whatever it might be, how many people still find that to be a, a tall order? Uh, I mean, just for an example, uh, not this year's meet out, but last year's meet out, the, um, the mayor of Dallas issued a meet out proclamation for us and they caught a lot of flack for it. I mean, the media was acting like... Like that was sacrilegious that in Dallas they would proclaim that even one day of the year is is it would be a good idea to, to not eat animal products and I, and honestly I don't even think that proclamation said vegan I think they were kind of vague about it and it was really implied more vegetarian we always ask them to make it a vegan proclamation but sometimes they choose to say vegetarian instead and I think that was just vegetarian and still still somehow the people got got you know riled up about it. <laughs> Well, now you do remember you're talking about the state that sued Oprah. Yes. But, yes. Well, not the state, but people in the state. But you know what? On the other hand, Texas has gone crazy for, yeah. for being vegan. I'm going to be at the uh, Health Fest in, in Marshall, Texas, uh, the last weekend of March, which is an amazing event. You guys need to check out uh, healthfest.org. It's a town of 26,000 where the mayor and his wife went vegan, and now great chunks of the town are vegan, and all the restaurants have vegan options. It's so cool. And, and we have Main Street Vegan Academy graduates all over the state, so it is different. Well, Texas also has the uh, I believe the first ever all vegan cafeteria at a major college in the country. They've got a That's- whole 
I think that's one of the schools in Austin, I believe. So yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not putting, yeah, when I brought up Texas, I'm not, that's not to imply that Texas is further behind than the rest of the country on this issue. I'm just saying that even in big cities like Dallas, uh, I mean, another one we had, this was five, five years ago, probably, but in uh, Michigan, in I believe it was 2010, might have been 2011, when the, when the governor of Michigan procla- proclaimed a meet-out proclamation, they got so mad that they tried to get um, get the governor to rescind the proclamation, uh, the industry there, and the governor ended up re- re- uh, the next day for the March 21st issuing like Michigan Ag Day or something to try to <sighs> calm the, you know, calm the 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 calamity a bit so yeah it's really interesting how um and you know michigan's a pretty a fairly blue state so yeah it's mm-hmm. really interesting how but, um how that simple ask is is still seen as as so threatening by by the by the our opponents <laughs> that seems though like it's coming from from more of a of a business or an agribusiness um group as opposed sure, to sure. individuals where i think sometimes individuals really believe that if they don't get that milk on the cereal, their bones are going to soften. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There's, there's still some of that, even with all the wonderful non-dairy milks out there with all the calcium of milk or 50% more. It's an educational process. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why we, you know, that's why we like to meet people where we're at. And that's why we offer the multiple le- levels of pledges. You know, we're saying if you've never deliberately eaten a vegan meal in your life. I mean, obviously, everyone's eaten some vegan meals, whether they know it or not, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or spaghetti and marinara sauce. But if you've never deliberately eaten a vegan meal in your life, then eating three of them a full day might <laughs> seem like a big ask, you know? And so we like That's to offer that, that level. At the same time, for someone who already does, you know, eat vegan meals with their friends now and then, you know, that's why we say, why don't you try it one full day a week? And for someone who's already more or less vegetarian, more or less vegan, they're kind of on that path. That's when we say, okay, I think you're ready to to go the whole way now so we like to you know like to meet people where they're at and you know try to we're all trying to get to the same place but not at the same pace so oh what a lovely way to say it i just i don't know it just came out of my mouth right now i never thought i never thought that before so now that that's a tweet uh, so let's give your twitter at m like michael a Weberman with two N's that's correct, on Twitter. Yeah. So I want you to go there and, and put that in because that's that's a really good tweet. I don't know if it's a good thing to say when I hear something short and brilliant, it's always a tweet to me, but uh-huh. it is a tweet and a treat to hear something like that. So, Michael, do you know of anybody who went vegan for the meat out and has stayed vegan? Do you have any great anecdote about a person like that? No, it's funny you say an anecdote because obviously we, you know, we, we try to work mostly from data at farm, not anecdotes, but I do believe there is power in people's stories. And yeah, we just got one actually the other day. Someone, um, someone commented on our Facebook and he said, I, he said, I tried vegetarian eating, uh, 25 years ago for meat out. Uh, and, and I, and I've, and I've been a vegan now and I've been, and I've been vegetarian or vegan ever since. Wow. Uh, because of you guys. So we just, it was actually just yesterday, I believe that we got that, that we got that one. So yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. <laughs> well, that's very cool. You know, when people go to, to your site, when they go to meetout.org and they can see how many animals they save and, and how they can help the environment and all that, you can know that you and the incredible founder of Farm Animal Rights Movement, Alex Hershaft, you're kind of like behind <laughs> all that saving. So that's very cool. And I just want to thank you and, and give a shout out to Alec, who is absolutely one of my heroes. Oh, yeah. He should be one of everyone's heroes, shouldn't he? So. He should indeed. So meetout.org is where you can sign up to be part of the meetout this year. Uh, you've got Michael on Twitter at MAWeberman2Ns. Now, Farm is also on Twitter at Farm USA, and they do good tweets. Can you tell I like tweets? You know, there are Facebook <laughs> people and there are Twitter people. And I think most people do both and love one. Trying to, so, I'm trying to learn how to become a Twitter person again. I, I used to use it. I've just started getting back into it. So, <laughs> Well, I love it, and I love it for animal stuff because you just get the, the basic 
And then yeah, if you want to yeah. click on a full article or something, it's right there. I find that it moves me to action a lot more easily than Facebook hmm. does, maybe because it's short and I can see so many in one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so, I, learned, I learned about the circus uh, news from Twitter, so now I'm 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 convinced again that that was uh, that was a beautiful thing to wake up to on Twitter. So now I'm now now I'm a, a believer in Twitter again. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're talking about the uh, Ringling Brothers no yes, longer using yes, elephants yeah. after 2018. I don't know why all this good stuff has to take so long. It seems like when something bad is going to happen in the world, it happens today. Sure, and sure. the good stuff is always four or five years from now. But still, it, it's it's a great, great success. I, I never dreamed when I was a little girl going to the circus and actually left at intermission because I didn't like how they were treating the, the big cats when I was about four, um, never dreamed that, that circuses would um, no longer use elephants. So just like all those people that go to meetout.org who can see how much good they can do, um, <laughs> you know, there's one more thing happening that um, it's a miracle for some beings. So thank you so, so very much, Michael. Oh, Happy meetout. Absolutely. And uh, we'll we'll talk before next year. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. <laughs> Thanks so much. So everybody during the break, listen to the break and then run on over to meetout.org and, and take the pledge. And we will be back with Rabbi Stephen Fuchs and with Richard Schwartz, Ph.D. of Jewish Vegetarians of North America. Stay with us. programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. If you happen to be listening live and you're in the 
U.S. and want to join the conversation, 888-558-6489 is the number. If you're outside the U.S., you can call 816-347-5519 and ask your question or make your comment. I am so pleased to bring on a friend of mine. I like sometimes to talk with people that I've known for a while and know their families and know what's going on with them. And I'm very, very happy to be presenting Rabbi Stephen Lewis Fuchs, who is the author of What's in It for Me? Finding Ourselves in Biblical Narratives. He is also Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Beth Israel in West Hartford, Connecticut, and former president of the World Union for Progressive Judaism. Now, Rabbi Fuchs, I want to tell our listeners that I met you and your lovely wife, Vicki, at a health event in Florida a few years ago where we were all learning from Dr. Frank Sabatino, who is one of the lesser-known but most brilliant scientific minds in the plant-based movement. Now, he was one of the first guests on this podcast. So if you want to listen to Dr. Frank, who seriously, he will blow you away. If I were sick, I would be at the door of, of Dr. Frank Sabatino having him help me. So look for the show that was August 22nd, 2012. And that's Dr. Frank. I appreciate his wisdom, and I appreciate that it was through him that I came to know Reverend Rabbi Stephen Fuchs. How do you do? I'm doing well, thank you. (laughs) And I would just echo your comments about Dr. Frank, uh, along with Victoria Moran. He's one of the most exciting, incisive presenters I've ever heard. And in my line of work, you hear a lot of people who speak for a living, and uh, he really is tops. Yeah, he is indeed, and and there's so much depth um, beneath what he has to say. So, a vegan rabbi, you don't run into one of those every day. What's your story? Well, my story is that I once uh, my wife Vicky said, what do you want to do this summer? I said, I don't know. What do you want to do? That's a conversation we've had a number of times. And instead of saying, I don't know, back, she said, well, we're going to go to this place in Florida. And I said, not going to any Florida in the summer. And she said, yes, we are. And so we went to the Regency with Dr. Frank in Hallandale Beach. And I really became uh, hooked. At the time, I had uh, become a lacto-ovo vegetarian in 1988 because I really was for spiritual reasons. And uh, I layered on that, Dr. Frank really presented a whole lot of health benefits that just were persuasive. And so uh, giving it a try, still working at it. Uh, So I'm interested that you became vegetarian for spiritual reasons. What were those? What was your thought process at that time? Well, I am very, very moved and influenced by the early stories in Genesis. And I have always asked myself, If Genesis is the story of the beginning of the Jewish people, and if Genesis has 50 chapters, and if we don't meet Abraham, the first Jew, till chapter 12, what are those first 11 chapters doing there? And my analysis of that really came to include an understanding of why a vegan lifestyle is recommended. Uh, God. Now, People get all antsy when you start talking about God. But whether you're a believer or not, I think it's clear that the idea of God presented in Genesis is completely different than any other deity in any other religious literature that appeared before the Hebrew Bible comes to light. And the difference is not just that we talk about one God and not just that God's invisible, but that God's agenda is different. Only in the Hebrew Bible do we find God interested in having human beings, the ones who are really in charge of, whether we like it or not, and responsible, that's the key word, this world, to create a just and caring and compassionate society. And so before we get to Abraham, to make an hour a lecture into one minute, we see three attempts by this good, caring God to have human beings do that. And they all fail. They have different ground rules. Eden was a place where you didn't have to work very hard. Nobody was born. Nobody died. Nobody had sex. And it didn't work. 
Now, we could talk for two hours about why it didn't work, but we'll just accept that it didn't work. Out they go. God tries again. New society, new ground rules. People have sex. They're born. They die. And they have to work hard for a living. It doesn't work either. Beginning with Cain and Abel up until Noah, it goes downhill. And God finally says, enough. But God, God love him, doesn't give up. (laughs) He tries again, or God tries again. And this time, we have some new rules. We have to establish a system of justice. Two, God says, I'm not going to destroy the world again. And three, for only the first time in this third society, God says, well, if you really want to, it's okay to eat meat. And then we start with all kinds of rules that make it very hard and difficult to eat meat. And really, I think we see it very, very circumscribed. But the point I'm trying to make is that even in the Bible, it's a concession, a concession to human nature. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, your previous guest spoke eloquently about meeting people where they are. Well, God meets us where we are, too. And God's trying to make this work. And after the failure of societies, one, Eden, failure of society, number two, the pre-flood society, we have a post-flood society. Well, that doesn't work out much better. And that's when God calls Abraham and Sarah and this wonderful covenant to make the world a better place. And we're still working on it. Well, you're working on it really brilliantly. That that was not only the quickest, uh, but the clearest explanation of those first 11 chapters of Genesis in relation to vegetarian diet that I've ever heard. So hats off to you for that. So now you have a book. I, I know that you love the Bible, and anybody who has has looked through your very sweet little book, this is not, you know, so often people say, oh, it's a book by a rabbi, it must have 800 pages. Yours is a small book, but it's full of, I almost said meaty, oh my goodness, your book is full of tempeh. There's really <laughs> a lot to it. Now the book, again, the title is What's in it for me? Finding Ourselves in Biblical Narratives. So why did you write the book? few reasons. Number one, you inferred that one of them is that I wanted a short book. That was very, very important to me. You know, the world is dividing, as we have discussed personally, very rapidly between those on the one hand, fundamentalists, they say, ah, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. They are biblical literalists. On the other hand, Victoria, we know people who just dismiss the whole thing as a bunch of fairy tales. And yet there's this huge middle ground of people who think and take biblical literature seriously, but not literally. Now, it will surprise you, perhaps, to know that the first non-Orthodox Jewish commentary on biblical narratives did not appear on the face of the earth until 1981. Wow. That is shocking. That is really shocking. And now, thank goodness, there are several wonderful women's commentary, the reform movement's commentary, the conservative movement's Jewish public. I mean, there's no shortage. But each of these is not something that you're going to take on a plane when you fly to Kansas City to meet your family next time. You need this. You can take start reading in LaGuardia and be going through it the second time by the time you hit Kansas City. So that was one of the reasons I wrote this book. Secondly, it is really to try to get to the essence of how do these stories potentially affect me and guide me on a path to make me a more just, caring, and compassionate human being, a more thinking, caring person. And that really is why I wrote this book. Mm, fascinating. And, and it, it's a great book, you guys. You've got to get it. It's really terrific. I know it's not a specific vegan book, but I love it when vegans write books that aren't just about veganism, <laughs> because we do do other things, which uh, makes us whole. You... You were about to say something? Did I interrupt? No, you didn't. I was just uh, going to say that Yeah, I didn't feel a need. I mean, I could never top the vegan books that you write. So uh, I really have to go with what I know. Oh, oh, oh. Don't they teach you in rabbi school that you're not supposed to flatter people? They uh, do. That's why I don't do it, Victoria. 
Okay. Now, yesterday I took a tour here in Paris of the Marais district, which was the traditional um, Jewish neighborhood here in Paris. And uh, it, it was also where Jews were rounded up um, during the time of the Holocaust. And I know that you chose to spend 10 weeks in Germany not long ago. What was going on there? What was that about? What was very, very important to me, Pastor Ursula Sieg somehow uh, got the idea. She's the head of the Office of Church School Relations in northern Germany, the Lutheran Church. And somehow we met and she got the idea that we needed to come to northern Germany. And we did. And we spoke. I spoke in 10 different Lutheran churches, particularly for me, emotionally, the tie to the city of Leipzig, where my father of blessed memory grew up was arrested on Kristallnacht, so I had the privilege and the burden of delivering three speeches on November 9th uh, in three different places on that night, which historians call really the end of pretense in the beginning of the Holocaust proper, where an organized pogrom by the German government smashed the shop windows of Jewish stores, that's why they call it Kristallnacht, and they wanted to really ignite a reign of terror and arrested hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews. And each year, of course, it's commemorated. And so I spoke at the city zoo where they rounded up Jews and commanded uh, the citizens to spit at them and jeer at them and all kinds of things. And I imagined that my father was in that zoo river, the stream that goes through the zoo. And then there was a ceremony at the site of the former great synagogue. I say former because it was burned to the ground on that night. And I imagine my own father having his bar mitzvah ceremony there. And the final speech was at the Thomaskirche, the famed church where Johann Sebastian Bach was organ master and choir master uh, for 20 years until his death. And so it was very, very emotional and very moving. Another talk I gave was at a church in Kaltenkirchen, which is the site of a former concentration camp, where the minister who was the pastor of that church left the church and became a Nazi uberkommando who committed atrocities, was held responsible at the Nuremberg trial for the deaths of more than 2,000 Jews, sentenced to death was gotten off by the church, eventually released and lived to the ripe old age of 87. That church still is in a process of atonement. And they asked me to be part of that process. I was the first rabbi that has ever spoken in that church. And in the vestry, in the social hall, they have a mural, a picture of a cross rooted out and lying on its side. And I call it the Church of the Broken Cross. So to be able to have these opportunities was a great privilege. You know, I wish I could go tomorrow and make peace between Israel and the Palestinians. I wish God had given me the ability to cure cancer, but I don't have those talents. But if this little bit I can do to help bring about healing and reconciliation, I am very eager to do it. My mantra was we cannot undo the past but the future is ours to shape. So we can put that one on Twitter, I hope. Oh, absolutely. That That is just glorious. Gosh, that gives me chills. The book is What's in It for Me? Finding Ourselves in Biblical Narratives by vegan rabbi Stephen Lewis Fuchs. Thanks so much for being part of the program. I look forward to seeing you around New York. Thank you, Victoria, very much. All the best. Everybody else, after these messages, we'll be hearing from Dr. Richard Schwartz on more on Judaism and the vegetarian and vegan life. Stay with us. Are we nearing the end of the world? Reading the book of Revelation, you might think so, and it doesn't end well. But is it possible that the Bible's darkest story is a positive tale? Author Ed Townley, host of the Unity Online radio show, The Bible Alive, thinks so. A Bible enthusiast, 
Townley focuses on the metaphysical meanings rather than the literal text. In Kingdom Come, new from Unity Books, Townley takes a fresh approach to Revelation. The kingdom, Townley explains, doesn't await us in the afterlife. It's ours to experience today as we learn to find the good even in our darkest challenges. Explore Revelation in a new light. Order the book Kingdom Come online today at unitybooks.org. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Moving right along on our very international program, I am going to be speaking with um, Richard Schwartz, Ph.D., who is Skyping in from Israel. So we are just all over the globe this evening. Uh, You may remember Dr. Schwartz, who has been on this program before. People loved him. They said, bring him back, and I always listen to what you tell me. So just for a reintroduction or a fresh introduction to those of you who have not yet met Dr. Schwartz, he's Professor Emeritus at the College of Staten Island. He's the author of Judaism and Vegetarianism, of Judaism and Global Survival, Mathematics and Global Survival, and Who Stole My Religion? Revitalizing Judaism and Applying Jewish Values to Help Heal Our Imperiled Planet. He also has some 200 articles at jewishveg.com slash Schwartz, and he's President Emeritus of Jewish Vegetarians of North America, and that is jewishveg.com. Welcome, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you. It's great to be on the program, and I want to commend you for your many years of promoting veganism and wish you much continued success. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm just so excited right now. You know, when I travel outside the U.S., I see the whole world. I think that in the States, I can get so wrapped up and I'm in this great big country and it's kind of set aside, you know, Canada and the U.S., they're just kind of over there. And then, you know, we, we come somewhere else. You're in Israel, I'm in France, and I start thinking about the whole. And when we think about veganism as a way to heal the planet, I really get a sense of the whole planetary nature of it, and I know that's what you're all about. So tell me, Dr. Schwartz, why do you think that Jews in particular should be vegans? Okay, well, there's at least six mandates that point very strongly to uh, veganism for Jews. And as a matter of fact, other religions are similar, so same holds there. So I'll just mention the six, and I'll be happy to uh, expand on it later. Okay, these are very fundamental to Judaism. These are mandates and teachings and values to take care of our health, to treat animals with compassion, to be co-workers with God in protecting the environment, to conserve natural resources, to help hungry people, and to seek and pursue peace. These, again, are fundamental, and they're very seriously violated by animal-based diets and animal-based agriculture. Wow. That says a lot in a short amount of time. So why is it especially important today? I mean, you know, we we talked this weekend, last week, about uh, biblical implications. But what about right now, today, 2015, what's going on? Okay, well, it's extremely important today because very unfortunately, the world is heading toward a climate catastrophe. And animal-based agriculture is a major contributor to that. And I wish I could tell you that was just one of my theories and maybe a few other scientists. This is the overwhelming consensus. 97% of the climate experts agree. All the science academies worldwide agree. And we're seeing so much evidence of that, that uh, the world's been warming. 2014 was the warmest year in recorded history. And every decade since the 1970s has been warmer than the previous decade. And this warmer world means that the polar ice caps are melting, glaciers all over the world are melting, 
There's more severe storms and floods, wildfires and droughts. For example, in California, all of these have happened so much so that the governor now, Jerry Brown, has said that uh, humanity is on a collision course with nature. Now, some people are aware of the problem. They don't realize how significant animal-based agriculture is with regard to that. But, for example, a 2006 study, not by the Sierra Club or People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, but by the UN Food and Agricultural Organization, they pointed out that an amazing thing, animal-based agriculture actually emits more greenhouse gases in carbon dioxide equivalents than all the cars, trains, planes, all the means of transportation worldwide combined. And when you think of all the cars out there, the traffic jams, planes taking off almost every minute, you can see how significant that is. That's largely due to methane, a very potent greenhouse gas given off by cows, so that uh, a switch toward vegan diets could make a big, big difference in reducing that methane from cows producing greenhouse gases, and hopefully helping to avert a climate catastrophe that the science and climate experts say we're heading very rapidly toward. How, how do you get people to understand that? Because I know lots of people who are vegan for the animals, and I know lots of people who are vegan for their health, but the, the planetary consequences seem so nebulous. How does that become real enough to get somebody to actually make a change? Well, there have been so many things in the news recently. You know, we had Katrina some years ago and uh, Superstorm Sandy. And um, it seems almost every day there's reports about that. The droughts, uh, Middle West, where I am now, as you mentioned, in Israel, there's a report this area, which is already a semi-arid area, is going to become hotter and drier. And one very significant thing was very often the conservatives that feel that uh, they're in denial and very often, by the way, problem is that for the most part, people are, in effect, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as we head toward a giant iceberg. Now, one very important thing, as I mentioned, in terms of conservatives, they may say, well, there are other problems. There's terrorism, for example. But the military all over the world is seeing that climate change is actually a contributor and very often a multiplying effect for violence, terrorism, and war, because unfortunately, with the uh, deserts growing, with the oceans rising and inundating some areas, there's going to be, unfortunately, tens of millions of desperate, hungry, thirsty refugees fleeing from all these effects of climate change. And some feel, we've seen the effects already, for example, in Darfur, in the Sudan, a tremendous drought moved people together and caused uh, violence. And also some feel that the civil war in Syria because four years of drought, the farms failed, farmers moved into the already overcrowded cities, and that was one of the factors, at least, behind the current civil war in Syria. Well, that is fascinating and not anything that I had ever heard before or thought of before. So I I know that you're in Israel right now, and I have heard that the vegan and vegetarian movements there are just going crazy. What do you see there? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of reports on that. Israel happens to have very strong laws with regard to compassion for animals and treating them the right way. There's many uh, vegan groups here. And that has made a tremendous difference. There's more and more vegan restaurants. Many of the celebrities have moved in that direction. It's still, unfortunately, still far, far, far from the majority. Still plenty of ways to go. But um, it has been out front, and uh, there has been, the last few years, many articles indicating that there has been a sharp movement toward veganism. Hopefully that will continue Hopefully, it'll be an example for the rest of the world. And because, uh, as you know, there's so many, many important reasons people should be vegans. It's the most important thing a person can do for their health, for, certainly, of course, for the animal, for the environment, for reducing the threat from climate change, for hungry people. Because we feed so much grain to animals destined for slaughter, and uh, for the efficient use of resources, because it takes an amazing thing, like 14 times as much water per person on an animal-based diet than for a person on a vegan diet. So 
hopefully uh, Israel will serve as an example and uh, there's a, this essential that that happened because there's no way, unfortunately, we're going to avert a climate catastrophe without many things happening. But one of them that's essential is a major shift toward vegan diets. Absolutely. Oh, I love it that I had read that the Israeli army offers an allowance for mm-hmm. vegans, an extra food allowance, so that they can be sure that they can get the foods that they need, and also that they provide vegan shoes, vegan, I guess, army boots, <laughs> which is, is very cool. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, that, that is going some. So yeah. how are you today promoting veganism? Okay, well, I'm trying every possible way. While I'm here in Israel, I'm on a speaking tour, and I've given already five talks. I have a few more scheduled. Besides this program, I was on another radio program. I have another one scheduled. And I'm just spreading that word as much as possible and tying it in with that climate change especially, because as you point out, a lot of people know about the cruelty of animals, about the health effects, but this is such an important thing. So I'm doing all that, as you mentioned, in a very kind introduction. I have 200 articles and more on the Internet, and I have now a third edition of my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, out there. And, you know, just writing letters to editors, uh, adding comments after articles online, and just everything possible. And I'd like to urge everybody in your wonderful listening audience to do everything possible because we want a decent world for children, grandchildren, future generations. It's essential to be a shift to a vegan world. So I just urge everybody to just make this a priority. If we don't uh, avert a climate catastrophe and related to that uh, increased hunger and thirst and energy shortages, uh, nothing else much will matter. So everybody out there, please write letters to the editor, try to affect the political process. Of course, become a vegan if you're not uh, completely ready, and contact your local priest, minister, rabbi, imam, etc., and try to get this onto the agenda. As I said, every religion is based on compassion, and uh, people are just in denial. You may have heard that expression recently, denial it's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> For sure. But you know what's interesting? I feel that most of the vegans that I meet, and maybe it's because I live in New York City, but most of them are, are very secular. Uh, I, I don't know that I want to say that most of them are atheists, but probably they are. And I mean, you know, I think anybody can believe whatever they want to believe. And I'm thrilled that there are vegans of every persuasion. But some of my secular vegan friends say, why do you even bother with the religion part? Just let that go and just go vegan and do something for this world right now. How do you answer that question? Okay, well, as you point out, the vegans are very religious, non-religious, secular, maybe even anti-religious. So I think we have to use every way possible. But the thing is, if somebody takes religion seriously, and Judaism, and as they say, the other religion, based on compassion, etc., have such strong teachings on compassion, on health, on uh, properly treating animals, you know, in the Jewish tradition, for example, it's part of the Ten Commandments, you know, some of the strongest religious teachings. It says not only are humans to rest on the Sabbath day, but animals as well. A person who has a pet is to see that that animal is fed before he or she sits down to his or her own meal. And very strong teachings uh, in the Bible. It says you can't yoke a strong and a weak animal. You can't muzzle an ox while ox is threshing in the field. And... Uh, According to Judaism, the great Jewish leaders, Moses and King David, were both uh, deemed suitable to be leaders because they were very compassionate to animals in their youth as shepherds. So the thing is that so, so many, every Sabbath day in their religion, are in synagogues and churches, and we're saying, uh, you don't have to start a new religion, you don't have to give up your religion, but let's put the highest of religious teachings into practice. And uh, very powerful teachings in the Bible. And you know, By the way, some uh, misinterpret dominion 
it said in the first chapter of Genesis that people were given dominion over animals, but that's interpreted as responsible stewardship. And the proof of that is right after dominion, the first dietary law in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, strictly a vegan diet. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, the human's role is indicated in terms of people being put in the Garden of Eden to work the land, but also to guard it. We're supposed to be co-workers with God, guardians of the earth. Wow, that's lovely. That's lovely. And I know there's a wonderful film. You did talk about this last time, but for people who still have not seen A Sacred Duty, the 2007 documentary of which you're associate producer. Tell us about that. Okay, that was uh, produced by a wonderful, wonderful person, Lino Friedberg, a multi-award winning producer, who produced it, by the way, as a labor of love and dedication. Otherwise, we just couldn't afford it. He didn't take a penny (coughs) of a professional fee. And uh, very powerful at the beginning. It's about the environment a lot in Israel. Second half about vegetarianism. And it's so important. We made it freely available on YouTube. And if somebody goes, by the way, to asacredduty.com, they can see the entire video freely. And we've given away about 40,000 copies of it. So that's the powerful message of vegetarianism from a Jewish and a religious point of view in general, and has a universal message. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. You know, there's so many wonderful vegan documentaries out there now, and this is, is certainly one of the, the most exquisite. It gets the point across very, very clearly, and it's also really, really beautifully done. So here are some ways that you can find out more about this wonderful man and, and wonderful teacher. You can go to jewishveg.com slash Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, and you can read his 200 articles. This man is incredibly prolific. Um, you can also go to asacredduty.com, uh, as we just said, to see the film. And you can like Jewish Vegetarians of North America on Facebook. You don't have to be Jewish. Go to facebook.com slash Jewish Veg. So, last two minutes. What do you want us to know, Dr. Schwartz? Okay, well, uh, it's essential that people move toward vegan diets if we want to have a decent world. Like, say, animal use agriculture is contributing to climate change, contributing to an epidemic of diseases, and, of course, as many of your programs have indicated in the past, devastating that uh, 10 billion farmed animals Approximately in the U.S. alone, almost 70 billion worldwide are mistreated before being slaughtered every year. So once again, uh, I know many of your listeners are already vegan. Go at, of course, you have to always be respectful, but spread that message because if we want, again, a decent world for our children, grandchildren, future generations, it's essential, essential that we um, major shift to a vegan diet. So again, I urge every listener to make it a priority because uh, it's essential, again, to have a decent world for the future. Oh, that's that's so wonderful. Thank you so much for all your wisdom. I just like the idea of spreading this message wherever we are. So I'm over here in Paris. I've been taking French classes for two weeks. And every time I get the chance in class to say in my not-so-great French, I am a vegan, <laughs> and then it starts a conversation, and other people ask questions like, well, does that mean that you also don't wear leather shoes? <laughs> so we get all this extra vocabulary, and I get to get the word out there that, you know, somebody can look very normal and be very articulate and doing something interesting, just as they are, like coming to Paris to study French, and am still a vegan, because as you say, it is such a an extremely important thing to be doing really at any time in history, but at this time, absolutely. So thank you so much, Dr. Richard Schwartz, as ever. We love having you on. 
Next week, we will be continuing in the first part of the program with our springtime holiday theme when uh, Joy and Bart of uh, Candle Cafes in New York City, Candle 79, Candle Cafe, Candle Cafe West, will be sharing with us Passover and Easter recipes. And then we'll have our main guest, Frank Ferrante of the documentary May I Be Frank. So check that out. Maybe you want to watch the documentary first and then Tune in and uh, listen to Frank Ferrante talk about his complete turnaround of life based on affirmations, seeing things differently, and a raw vegan diet. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for planning on being with us next week. And wherever you are, God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you. Things may happen to you. But the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, only on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As we examine what it means to be sacred activists in service of compassion and justice, we may find ourselves asking, how do we become a sacred activist? Institute for Sacred Activism founder Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. His advice echoes Gandhi, who once said, whenever you are in doubt, 
Apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest person whom you may have seen and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to them. Will they gain anything by it? Will it restore them to a control over their own life and destiny? So whenever in doubt about the direction of your life, just ask yourself, what breaks my heart? Whose suffering is simply too much to bear? And then commit your life to alleviate it. Don't turn your face away from the pain and injustice that is so prevalent in our world. Courageously bear witness to it. And in prayer, dedicate your life to healing it. Gain more spiritual insight. Listen to Radical Spirituality and Sacred Activism with Adam Bucko, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.